Hello, everyone. This is The Shuffle Bus, and I'm your host, Jesse Bergman. As always, I have my esteemed friend and co-host, Neil Momin, joining us today. Also joining us is the first ever world champion of the Transformers trading card game, Mr. Dan Arnold. Hi, Dan. Welcome aboard. Hi. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Good. So uh, for those listeners that would not know this. We'll just go ahead and preface. This is actually take two because we had a massive audio issue in take one. So that's why there might be a little bit of like... Jesse, if you tell them that, they're going to know. Yeah, well, that's the point. I mean, that's, This uh, is the uh, magic uh, of the internet. We don't have to... <laughs> well, I, I'm all about transparency because there's no doubt that this show will be influenced in some way by what we were recording before. So... Um, yeah, I so, just I just have to make more fun of Neil this time. Yes, I, I well, you should do that anyways. I mean, like, <laughs> like it's just like how the show operates. If somebody's not making fun of Neil, everybody that uh, listened to episode seven knows that I'm coming for you, Dan. I'm, <laughs> I know that's why I have to make fun of you. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I'm I'm I really am looking forward to the day that you two get to square off, and whether that's in a competitive environment or whether that's in just like just like bare knuckle boxing like well i, I mean i don't know who wins that it's definitely dan i'm okay i don't know man dan comes kind of comes across a little scrappy you might you might have to watch out and he watches a lot of wrestling so he's he's got to know that's some true. sweet moves right like i mean that's oh that's, fair. that's fair. you know i mean I'm, I'm not a wrestler watcher haven't been since i was about eight so i, I really can't add anything to the move side of this but um yeah so so dan you know one of the things we learned in the last interview that i think is really interesting is, is that um you've actually been to 46 states throughout oh, yeah. the u.s i got all about this right already. yeah yeah right yeah. this was so long ago in the past right so so yeah. um yeah that's kind of interesting so what took you on those travels I and mean, we didn't talk about this so this will make something new for neil and i to play off of but what oh sure uh so, like, it kind of plays off the whole Traveling Transformer podcast that I do. Yep. Um, I travel for work for a living. I have been since I was 17 years old. So, 13 years of traveling, I've gotten around. I've seen a lot of places. I've seen a lot of cool things. Um, and on top of that, I've traveled, you know, for my entire adult life as a card player also. So, sure, yeah. sure. So, uh, just, I, I used to travel. Uh, my My last job before about a year ago before I'm in the position I'm in now, uh, I was on the road about 250 nights a year. Do you, do you get to that sort of level of travel or do you? No, I'm closer to like a hundred nights probably. Oh, okay. Well, that's not so bad. That, that's a decent no. travel job. That's yeah, way I'm, better than I'm, the grindy travel I'm, job I had. I'm home every Friday. Oh, so. that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. 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 So yeah, when I, I started. Mean, other than, like, other, other than like, you know, my flight gets canceled on a Friday night and then I'm sleeping somewhere on a Saturday, you know, of, but of course yeah. I get home. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's, that's the important part. I work in my house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you, I'm I don't gonna gotta ask go you, anywhere. Do you ever, do you even put on pants most days, Neil? I have pants on. Are you sure? I mean, it is the internet. We don't know for sure. So, I mean, <laughs> that's true. I, I could be lying, but we're a transparency stream now. So, I got to tell you the truth. I have pants on. Okay. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> no. Oh, boy. So, that, that, that's everybody's visual for the night. You're all welcome. There's, to that. Oh, oh, boy. Oh, There's wait, no way Neil, this is better wait, than the first take. Wait. <laughs> Wait, Neil with pants on? That's the that's the view. I mean, come on. Yeah, right. Oh. Uh, I mean, seriously. So, oh, I mean, if I this if is... I didn't have to go to work every day, like go into an office, I'd probably pretty sure I'd just work in my box. Or so you've been to forty six states. One of them is not Nebraska, and after that, yeah, right. he's not coming. Nah, well, you know, <laughs> he, he you know he travels enough. He's probably got hotel points, so he doesn't have to crash at your house or my house to, to make that work. Oh right? like, no, you know, I don't have to. No, see, see, that's how that works. That's the beauty. That's the little hidden gem of traveling. Is that for? Yeah. While, oh, there's plenty of there's plenty of little gems if you like get good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that was always my favorite part. I said this is the first year now. It just happened at the turn of the year, which oh by the way, happy new year, everybody. This is our first episode of 2020. Mm. It's technically um, our second. Yeah. Well. <laughs> You're right. Uh, <laughs> so, oh uh, god. But, but yeah, I, I lost my status with an airline, uh, which was kind of kind of made me oh. sad. 
Yeah, that's unfortunate. You have to that, maintain it for a year. I would be year, really right? sad so, when that happens. I know. It, yeah, it I'll was, be really sad when that happens. It does. Like it, only travelers will get that. So if any of our podcast listeners are travelers, they understand why that's <sighs> a big deal. But for everybody yes. else, they're gonna be like, I don't get it because we none of us can earn it anyways. <laughs> so, but oh. it, it, it does. It does matter when when you travel. It's it's a nice right. little perk. So, um, but anyway, so let's uh, let's kind of jump back. Right, let's All get the way this back bus to back on the road. <laughs> this bus is, I don't know where it's at. It's, <laughs> it's in round. minimum maintenance roads that have been rained on and snowed on for the last year, and it is stuck. <laughs> but no, yeah, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your EI. I mean, that was what we uh, have done in the first episode, so you get to rehash all this. Yeah. But um, So talk a little That's bit okay. about um, kind of leading up to the EI uh, and what brought you to the deck that you played, because um, I know it's been alluded to on some of the po- podcasts with, uh, Vin and Scott, but also, um, I think you've talked about it in your article that's on vectorsigma.info. And if y'all aren't checking out vectorsigma.info, you better do that because it's well worth your time. Um, and yeah, so just kind of, kind of lead, lead us up to the event. Like what, what kind of happened? How did you land on the Galactic Prime deck? Uh, we won't go through that. You can find it on Fortress Maximus. Go out there and look it up, but we're not going to go through the card list today. Yeah. Okay, so, deja vu. Um, <laughs> I've been here so before. So, we, we, we came into Galactic Prime in, like, the very final hours uh, leading up to Energon. Um, and the way that happened is because our teammate, uh, Gabe Alonzo, is based out of Florida. And his testing partners for the event were George Machado and Andrew Duvall uh, from the PPG side team. Um, and, you know, we were testing Jetfire and we were testing all sorts of things, obviously. But our list from pretty early on in testing, like I can literally remember a, a game one, a day one of opening my cases, building Jetfire and playing Jetfire in our local shop and like crushing bugs with this day one alpha version of Jetfire. So from like, like that day, I'm like, all right, this deck's pretty fun. Let's keep working on it, you know? <laughs> so it's pretty dope. Like, he, is, he is really good at beating bugs too, unless they're... Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we worked on it for weeks and like, uh, like uh, meanwhile, like on the side, you know, like we would talk to Gabe and Gabe's like, hey, we have this this Galactic Prime deck and it's it's doing really well against this and it's really well against that and it's doing really this, but we never really had a concrete list um for like that version uh that we ended up inevitably playing at ei and so we get to the weekend um and we go out to dinner and we're all talking about it and stuff like that and then when dinner ends you know i go home that night and i'm testing uh with george machado uh and he's playing the galactic prime deck now and i was just testing this like springer cars deck thing that i had been messing with the week leading up just to kind of like mess with springer some more uh and we played probably like three or four games i don't remember exactly but i wasn't the other night i wasn't that impressed with this deck that they had been talking about for weeks you know like gabe is is telling us and telling us and telling us and i'm like i played four games against it and i don't know it's it's fine it's whatever it doesn't do anything like extravagant you know and that's kind of part of the thing is that the deck necessarily doesn't do anything extravagant but that doesn't take away from its power level um so the very next night after the whole day of doing absolutely nothing, which we talked about in the last episode, <laughs> but you know, we sat around all day. Hey, we were kind of just, you know, talking to people here, talking to people there, but we didn't get any of those testing things done that we wanted to do throughout the day. So we went out to do an early dinner, like a five o'clock dinner. We got back to the hall around six 30 and we played for like three hours, like two and a half, three hours. Um, and I got to sit behind Andrew Duvall and watch him pilot this deck against Scott playing Jetfire, Shockwave, Blaster, and whatever else. And the deck ended up winning like 12 of 13 games. And it wasn't it, like, and I know that probably sounds like a small, a small sample size from compared to the, I don't even know how many games I played with Jetfire type scenario. But I was able to identify very, very early on in the games I was watching that this deck had a different type of power level than what we assessed it with. Um, and what it ends up doing is that like you watch it and you see it and you're, and you're trying to react and you're trying to think like, okay, well, what if he did this? And what if he did that? Yada, yada, yada. And when you run through all the scenarios, it just ends up like, okay, the Jetfire deck can't beat this deck. And, you know, we, we stress the theory of spheres all the time. Um, and the point of the whole thing is that 
if you're going to play a deck inside of a spear, you should always play the best deck in that spear. And the moment that Jetfire was kind of dethroned in our, in our eyes in, in that weekend, we had decided, like, well, you know, we have to do this. So Scott looks at me, and he's like, what do we do? And I looked, I was like, it's a no-brainer. Like, we have to audible. Like, that's the only thing we can do. We have to play this deck, and we have to respect what they found and, and go with it. Right. So real quick before we go a little further with this, um, you know, you were talking about the spheres and on the last episode, we talked a lot about the siege for post EI meta. Um, siege two, Neil, I'm going to correct you. I'm going to take Dan, Dan's job here. Wave four siege two. Don't, <laughs> don't you start now? <laughs> uh, so I was talking about, you know, I had the real simplified version of it where I was talking about how there's like aggro control and combo and they all kind of rock versus each other. But this three wide control deck that is essentially, you know, core giant guy. So we just mm-hmm. have giant guys now. They're colossal. Yeah. And two others all kind of function very similarly. And you made the statement that this is the, the best deck in that sphere. And I just like you to explain to me and the viewers and everybody, like a couple specific things, why this deck in particular is better. Cause like you said, uh, in our original assessment, it just wasn't as good as a jet fire. Um, and he had a much worse matchup against shockwave than Jetfire did. Uh-huh. But obviously like, there's some stuff slanted in, in the version you guys played to fix that. And um, I just, if we're all working towards like, what's the best three wide control? Like, why is this one better? Sure. Uh, so first and foremost, I don't want to just immediately say this is the king of this at all times type scenario, right? Because right. sure. at the end, of, at the end of the day, you can always adapt, and that's the whole point, right? Yeah. So, and all those decks are gonna function similarly, whether it's Shockwave or Jetfire or Octone or whatever. Like they're still operate very similarly to each other. And you know, Jesse and I played the Jetfire deck at the AI, and I mean, I've felt pretty good about it every time. Like it's very powerful. It does really good things. And you know, if it's 10% worse than general prime, you're still not losing out on a lot there. But when we're talking about the world championship, that 10% is very important. And that's kind of what I'm asking about, you know? So, so if you just, if we just go back to EI and we don't like like, go anything further from that point, right? So if you just look at that tournament, and you assess the the blue control sphere of the three Y control decks. If you look at it just damage for damage output, the idea of General Optimus in that output is he has the most health out of all of them, and he has two abilities that kind of that give you the ability to, in quotation marks, cheat extra actions, right? Whether right. it's whether it's you get to advance your board state by playing an upgrade or you get to play an extra action in a turn. In some um, ways, he's like Blaster on both sides, right? In some ways, yeah. Uh, so if you look at the other ones on, on this axis, none of those characters do that. Um, the right, shockwave, it's, it's all card advantage, not like action advantage. Exactly. That's exactly how you should say it and look at it. So in that, in that sphere type thing, if they're all just playing... You actually said it really well. Like you felt like you were playing fair, right? Uh, against the EMP wave deck a couple in your, in your post-EI podcast. Like, the right. Jetfire deck, at the end of the day, does play fair. Like, yes, it does. It plays efficiently, right? 100% it plays efficiently because you're always, you should always have the best upgrade each turn type scenario. And the same thing with Shockwave. Shockwave plays efficiently because you always get to play your turns out correctly because you can see the top of your deck. You can abuse the top of your deck you can at the same time you know get rid of your opponent's hand and all those things octone i don't even really want to put in the conversation currently because i don't think he matches up to those other two yet um but the the prime deck even if you go through an entire game in just a blue on blue mirror and you let's just say you had i don't know 30 cards of the same battle deck and the, the others are just uh lv gamma blasters versus 
ion blasters, right? Because like you're just gonna adapt to your character. If you just trade attacks the whole time, the guy with 21 health is gonna beat the guy with 17 health most of the time. On top of that, you have a higher attack stat than the shockwave does. And even if we start throwing weapons into the mark, you have to remember that your ability is to play extra upgrades. So you're always advancing your board state outside of even needing to have cards in your hand. So the whole effect of shockwave kind of goes away. Right? Yeah, it does. And and we saw this, I mean, I, I came from Star Wars Destiny. Uh, that's the last like competitive, I guess, kind of TCG that I played. And uh, we, and when I played it back in the early days, they had an action efficiency character in Ray in the original set. And, and she was just, she was just set up in such a way where you, if you got action efficiency in, in a game where action economy is a portion of how the game plays, because you don't have, I mean, that game had extra economy, but let's just for the sake of argument, say that really it was action economy and destiny that mattered because that was what it was. Um, then Ray just cheated in that sense. Right. right? Like, right, and that's right. what, that's what galactic prime is doing. He's cheating additional action. Maybe you don't hit it all the time, but you're going to hit it. I don't know, 60% well, of the time, 70% of the time, whatever. I, honestly, the, the, the problem was is that I believe people were trying – This is, and I think we, we are the same thing here. Like I, I said in, in the first interview <laughs> that our, our list was 12. Our list was 12 cards different than the list that we ended up playing. So we were very far off, and the difference is huge. It's 30% of your deck. It's a ginormous part of the deck. Um, and I – think our version was playing too much into getting all these actions off and getting all these abilities off and at, at the end of the day what you have to realize is that if it just comes organically and you just play the best cards to make your deck efficient as a whole rather than doing all these extra things to hope you like if you're having secret dealings and you have um uh reclaim and you have uh, uh, uh incoming transmission like if you have nine of those cards in your deck you, it's too much redundancy. It's too unnecessary. You don't need to do it every turn, right? So, like, when you have all those things, you realize that you're actually spending too much time caring about this little thing, where if you just were to slant the deck slightly to make it happen when it happens, you, you're just so far ahead. And that's the difference, is that I, I feel like a lot of people looked at Galactic Prime and go, oh, that's a great, that's a great ability. How do I maximize that ability? You know, or, or it's like, you know, people playing Shockwave, they're like, oh, Shockwave is great how many discard effects I can play uh, unconventional flying object. I can play his weapon. I can play espionage. I can play disruptive engines. Like if you play so many, they eventually become useless. And you don't actually win the game, right? Like you're, you're, right. you're doing things that aren't actually winning the game for you. You're just, you're just kind of, uh, we like to call it dinking and donking around. So uh, I mean, right, right. I, I've, I've talked about that a lot, like in not necessarily on this pod, but just with other folks as I talk about games and, I had spent a lot of time just uh, talking about destiny on, on a YouTube channel. And, you know, in that particular situation, I talk, I always spent a lot of time because people would spend a, a significant amount of resources and time trying to manipulate the dice into the maximum value. And sometimes you just go, this is what the dice gave you. So just like do it. And this is, uh, this is the same kind of principle, right? Where you go, yes, I, he's got this great ability. You definitely want to make sure you're leveraging that ability, but you don't need to maximize it to be effective, especially yeah. with somebody like Galactic Prime, who's got just monster stats and just has a huge bot. I mean, like he could be blank on both sides and he's a reasonable uh, bot to fill a, a, a team. No matter. I mean, he wouldn't, he, if he was blank on both sides, it wouldn't be 15 stars, but that, that, that's the difference. <laughs> right. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, my, my point, my point being is, is that like, he's got a really good attack stat huge health pool and a reasonable defense pool and uh defense stat and uh, you know that's good enough and then if you're doing these other things like okay that's just like pushing him to well in your case uh, to a world championship <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um you know we were kind of uh, talking a little bit in the previous episode but you'd also wrote this out very well uh in your article talking about your limited pool uh, and I think there's something to be gleaned from your insight because I don't think, you know, I think a lot of people went into the EI with the impression that unless you pulled like a rare, super rare type of bot, that you were just destined to go 03 and sealed. And 
I, I think your deck in particular, your character lineup in particular, and also just your decisions on what battle cards to run in your 25 are a good example of exactly how limited functions and why mindsets are, that people may have about limited maybe are not uh, founded in terms of their impressions of the limited format. And I know that's a really heated topic amongst people on forums right now, but I do, and, and it's cooled down obviously because we're far enough removed now, but um, I do think it's important to understand that sealed is probably not going anywhere because draft draft is logistically not um, probably functional at a large scale tournament. And I think it, it does, provide the necessary level of detail to be good at all facets of transformers to be called world champion. So give me some of your insight. Like what, what were some of the decision points that you made while building your deck? And maybe just for our listeners that aren't familiar with your article, haven't read it yet, what your lineup of characters was and, and how you chose your 25. Right. Um, so very early on, we had figured out that you, the, the, the format itself is different you know, then construct it. Uh, and it's about, it really comes down to health pool um, and health points and the way you evaluate those. Um, and I felt that in the games that I had specifically played against my opponents, they were valuing uh, the blue pip too much and they were valuing tough too much. Uh, and both of those things, while they're very incredible and synergize very well and constructed because you can build an entire deck off these, off these cards and these abilities, it's not the same as uh, as limited because if you open thirty six cards from your limited pool, you know chances are nine to twelve to thirteen of those cards are going to be a black pip card. And honestly, you you might not even have like four or five blue pip cards, right? So uh, if you just do sheer number of math and the ability of well, when he flips a black, he's automatically going to deal damage to me. So even if I have four defense he's still going to probably do two or three damage to me and that's without any extracurricular activity right without a, a bold weapon or without a bold action or something like that um and i think it's very important to understand that in that format in the siege one and siege two format they very much push black pips to to the limited scene in my opinion um so if you if you weren't evaluating black pips as like a defense stat in the idea that oh, my character's always going to take this, then you were, you were kind of already on the ground floor wrong. Yeah, I mean, it makes total sense. I mean, that's what we discovered early on in our sealed testing was this idea that, you know, health matters more than defense. And that while the attack stat matters, it's also a process of uh, looking at how do I just bolster to make sure that I'm doing exactly what my attack stat is in damage every single turn. And that that's where the black pips really came into play and limited, but they certainly didn't. Um, uh, they don't. They don't seem to do that in constructive. So I think that's where like players that play a lot of constructive could misevaluate limited pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, like all the card, all the black pip cards are mostly okay. Uh, and they like the good ones require you to have a mercenary type scenario, but the difference was in in limited is that it didn't matter. Like the black pips were just so good that you're going to play every one that you have, most likely because of just the fact that whenever you flip it on offense, it's guaranteed damage. So so uh, let's talk a little bit about like now that you've you've won the EI, you're world champion. Um, all of this stuff has kind of come down and obviously we had the holidays to kind of give everybody a little bit of a break, or maybe you didn't get as much of a break as the rest of us. Um, we're getting ready to come into Orlando, another probably pretty decent sized tournament worth uh, a fair amount of dollars. And, uh, I think it's going to have people traveling for it, a which fair is fair amount of, of dollars, a fair <laughs> amount of dollars. I, I well, there's some controversy <laughs> well, around that, you know, like, it's, it's, it's about $3,000 worth with the product it's a reasonable amount of product and so because of that you you're going to get players that are willing to make the travel right because that it's and so that means that the tournament's going to naturally expand the the spheres are going to get tested again probably at this tournament i mean it'll probably be one of our larger tournaments outside of the ei and outside of gen con and origins and it might rival gen con origins we don't know for sure so when we're looking at those kinds of things and we're discussing them and 
looking at moving forward, we really did end up in three spheres. We talked about it in our last episode. And in that episode, we discussed, um, you know, the three white control deck, which we mentioned earlier. We saw some, some of the wider aggro bubbling up at Vegas, uh, which would be expected. And then... Yeah, because uh, Tailwind is so oppressively good. Correct. Yeah, I mean, that was a huge <laughs> component of why that's happening, of course. Uh, and then we, we also saw the emergence of Combo. And combo hasn't taken a tournament yet but it always seems to be just hovering you know right around there and if you listen to blaine talk about his uh energon invitational experience you know he went undefeated in the constructed rounds and had a sealed pool that didn't work out for him uh to put him into that top eight position at the ei but he kind of made up the difference for it when he came back to vegas a little bit later and so um you know, he, he was in top eight of Vegas. Do you think that combo as it sits right now has, uh, has a, has a rightful place in the meta number one and number two, do you feel like as a, as a competitive level player that we have sufficient, I won't call them hard counters, but sufficient answers to make the games competitive when you're not playing combo. Uh, so the way you address it of having its own sphere, um, I think is a good way to put it. Uh, and I think that, in the overall aspect of it all, it's, it's, it's fine in its current state for this game. Uh, I believe that it has, it has glaring weakness um, and it has glaring strength. So, you know, it, it fits that, that moniker uh, just like all the other spheres decks do. And right now I believe it is currently slow enough um, and still somewhat, it, I believe it's more skill dependent now also uh, without, the um the yeah. mmgs it's a it's when you got to like it's definitely a lot more difficult just kill your cog yeah. and fall into winning like <laughs> yeah 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 uh so i believe it's definitely way more difficult to correctly assemble the combo um and it's definitely at least slow enough also that it has actual weakness Whereas before the mmg ban i believe that you were just literally able to win without your opponent playing a card and you're able to win on your opponent's turn and all these other things. And it's like, that wasn't good at all for the game because there isn't enough cards in Transformers to compete with combo at that level. Uh, but in its current stasis, I believe that it has plenty of answers that are reasonable. But the difference is, um, and I, I want to say this for most of, I even think of Blaine's reports, is I, what I always question is how many of his opponents were prepared for it. Uh, sure. and yeah, that's definitely not only were they, not only were they prepared for it, but did they actually understand how to fight against it? So, uh, that, that's, that's the key things that I think that at the end of the day, uh, as long as players, uh, as long as players respect that that deck is in the meta and that deck is in the spheres, then I believe it's completely fine and safe for the environment. Um, as long as you're willing to put three or four cards in your sideboard type scenario and willing to like kind of go through the mental gymnastics of testing against it because i mean if you're not <laughs> a combo player it's it's a lot of work to practice against it. the biggest thing that that makes it into this boogeyman and we've seen it on the facebook group and we've seen it in all the like podcasts or whatever people talking about it it's people just hate it right like people don't want to sit at a table and watch their opponent like take a 10 minute turn while they have played zero cards and lose the game. And I mean, from a, to a certain point that sucks, right? Like it just, it kind of sucks to sit there and watch them make sure they don't screw it up. Cause like, if they're cheating you, that's bad too. Like, but it's not that much difference than, you know, like way back, you just play bugs six rounds in a row and get crushed by bugs. Like, sure. Yeah, it's, I agree. It's the same kind of thing. Just like a, people don't look at it that way combo in every game has this stigma that it's like cheating and you should be trying to win like on a real axis and it's not a real deck like that's just not true this is a card game in competitive card games there are combo decks and as long as wizards is on top of it which i think they are you know the the thing in dallas was bad but fixed very quickly the thing way back when swap parts of the thing was fixed very quickly uh the, well to, to their credit it was fixed before it ever mattered so there's that <laughs> right absolutely right I, I mean that's that's exactly my point right like like i like playing combo decks 
and it's just another thing in the game right like like we so often have talked about how like this is an orange meta or this is a blue meta like is it really better to just like have that than have like like this is a an aggro meta or this is a control meta or this is a mid-range meta or this is a combo meta like it's just you get to do more things and i think that's positive and like you said it comes down to who's prepared for what like if you went to a tournament with no anti-aggro cards you would lose to bugs every round it's the same thing as the combo card it's just that like as a player you're probably more conditioned to understand what the anti-aggro cards are I mean, the only, the only like kind of counter to that, just to have a kind of a discussion about it, I'm playing a little bit as devil's advocate here, is just this idea that um, it, it warps the sideboards in such a way where, yes, you're right, now I have to build a sideboard. Maybe if I'm playing a three-way control, I have to build a sideboard to be able to manage combo. Um, but it, it used to be what we were facing off, which was kind of interesting in this game before the before the combo decks emerged was this idea that if I was playing three wide control, I knew that like four wide aggro was going to be a, a, a more of a problem for me. So then I could change up my bot lineup and I could change up some of the card choices for specifically poor matchups and kind of shift the whole dynamic of my deck. And now we're just playing answer cards to a specific archetype. And again, right. I'm being but, just devil's advocate on this. So. I mean, well, what on, you described is essentially like what you're doing against combo, right? Like you're if you're changing your bot lineup and changing your cards to be against aggro, it's the same as changing your cards against combo. It's just they work in a different way. It's right. So so it's more of like an educated choice at that point, right? Yeah, um, for sure. So like it's it's more, and I've I've said this for as long as I have been a content creator. I go into every event going, I'm gonna pick what I lose to. Right. Sure. Like, yeah, I'm accepting a loss against this. And now that it's it's more relevant than ever is that, OK, like you just want to show up to an event and be like one one guy at the event's going to play combo. So I don't care. Right. If you play against that guy, you're going to lose. If you're wrong and 15 people play that and you play against that two or three times, well, you're out of the event. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and. To to kind of fight this in all fronts, I like you guys. I let you guys kind of go at it for a little bit because I think it's fun. But uh, the the idea of I have to commit X to fend off against Y. It's complicated, but it's also it's also good for the game as a whole because like your example of oh well, I can just change my bot lineup so I can better compete against aggro. Well, maybe as a design process, they don't want it to be that simple, right? Like they want every player to make a choice of how they want to play in, in a given event. So it's like, all right, well, if I, I it's just like I said, like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I have something for combo. So I'm going to play turbo board as an example, or I'm going to play calibers or Nightbird or all these other characters that can potentially help you beat combo. Like, all right, that's what you did. That's what you decided to do. You decided your deck was good enough as a main deck against the field. And you're like, I'm going to commit this to that it's the same thing all around is it's just a matter of where the player wants to choose and decide what the meta will be. And then to Neil, just to defend off your idea of combo, I think the difference of combo in this game compared to other games is that in most other games, when you, it's kind of like an instantaneous thing, like, Oh, I Kiki Cheeky Slurner twin bang. I made a thousand copies with haste and I kill you. Right. So when you look at those aspects, it's it's very easy to go, oh, combo's in the game, and it's it's fine because when they win, they win in, in 30 seconds, not in 15 minutes. I think that's wow. kind of where I I think I think that's kind of where the hate for it comes because in this game right. it's it's it takes time to actually do it. Now, there are situations where it's like, as a player, you need to know, well, he probably has this, I should just move on. But the issue is at the end of the day is that the combo player can mess up he can miss, he can fizzle, and that, that creates the game state of, well, I can sit here, and if he messes up, I can win the game. That's right. the and, problem I have with it in this game, is that And that's a decision a that you make, like, I mean, if there's, quote, Jesse Bergman, a fair amount of dollars on the line, you gotta watch your <laughs> opponent combo off. But, like, like you said, you know, you gotta know when to scoop, too. That I talked about that in the last episode, playing against the EMP wave guy, like, 
I I just like scooped aggressively in game one to give myself time to try to win game two. Like, right. But you're exactly right. Like, you just got to pick what you lose to. The alternative to like, like if sideboard decisions were easy, that just means we're all on the same deck, and right. everyone on the deck is way worse than <laughs> anything that we're talking about. Yeah, I, I yeah. do. I, I do agree. Again, I was just playing devil's advocate for the sake. No, of- no, I, and I I I liked your point. Yeah. So let's uh, let's kind of move into like how you see the gap between uh, Wave Four Siege Two and whatever they teased right before Christmas. I mean, we're going to go a fair amount of time between uh, you know the launch of, of Wave Four and, and the launch of Wave Five. And so one of my questions, I guess, I have because I'm I'm hearing this a lot in the chatter as well is how to keep a group active and participating. And since you have a larger group in in your local area, I think it's interesting, like you suffer, you potentially suffer the worst, right? Because you may have 30 or 40 players when, uh, you know, the meta is new. And then as the meta starts to get a little more, I'll, I'll just use the term stale for the lack of a better term here, then, you know, you're going to have people fall off probably maybe faster, right? Because they're just going to go, well, you know, if nothing's changed for two or three months. Do you, does your local game store do anything specific to help try to bolster those kind of valleys that exist in between releases or do you guys just kind of weather the storm and know they'll all be back when the new uh, new set drops so our local store given no matter what time of year uh uh, does its very best to run a 1k event every month um and we help sponsor it as much as possible because we want as many people to come out to it as we can get right um and you make the statement about our like our area is very, very heavy in Transformers players. However, uh, I, it's very tough to get everyone to, to a given event. Um, and whether it's because they're playing favorites with which store they want to go to, or this person can play on Saturday, this person can play on Sunday, this person can play on Wednesday, yada, yada, yada. Our events have seemingly fallen off as a whole, to be honest, uh, across the board for most of the ones we did now in the last two weekends i played in back-to-back weekends now and one event had 12 players and another event had 19 players um and that's not bad you know for middle of january uh holiday even in kind of like in the midst of like holidays and stuff like that no i'd say that's that's really good for a local environment outside of a maybe an mtg or pokemon environment right um but the fact is is that the events could be bigger um if more players were willing to travel a little more than not. Like, so for example, like my local is like 35 minutes from my house. Uh, and I go to that every month. And then the other event I went to is in Harrisburg. So I drove two hours to Harrisburg from my house to still play transformers because that's how much I enjoy playing this game. And I want to support any store that's willing to, to play transformers. So it, it, when people like, or go like, I, I hear it kind of often. It's like, Oh, well, like there's a store, but it's like 45 minutes to an hour away. It's like, well, if you like transformers and it's your only chance to play transformers this month, you should probably go play transformers. Right. Yeah, no, you're, you're hundred percent right. And like, uh, we do, we do similar things here, uh, but we definitely don't have the participation to drive a one K tournament. I mean, I, I would be amazing. I, I mean, if we could fire off a one K tournament here, monthly yeah, that would be just fantastic they do it like i said we they, it, there's there's very minimal the, the the only times that we they normally don't run it is because it co it, it for whatever reason always coincides with magic pre-release weekends because we always <laughs> we always try and run it the third saturday of the month well aren't so those like, like every other week anyways at this point i mean oh, yeah <laughs> it's it's like every three months for sure so yeah. there's at least three months two to three months out of the year that for whatever reason that the, the pre-release weekend for magic falls in the same weekend. So we end up not doing it. You know, we definitely are looking at that and just trying to even get to a point where we can fire just a monthly tournament for some product. But it's, it's interesting because we're finding that as the meta kind of stabilizes and as things kind of uh, go longer away from the release weekend, we just don't find the uh, participation numbers sustain on product alone. Like, and it's, it's, it's an interesting conundrum where you're like, it's just because everybody knew I was in Florida. So they didn't want to come anymore. Is that what you think? Yeah. All the Lincoln and (laughs) Omaha players just stayed home. If if I can't beat that Neil guy, cause he's the, he's the easy pickings every week. Then uh, (laughs) 
I guess this turned around on me a little bit. But <laughs> yeah, that's how this works. Come on, man. We you know this. Like they're like, oh, I can't go face Jesse every week. He's too much for me. But Neil, nah, there we go. Um, no, you know, I mean, the holidays uh, but, obviously so put an impact it, on it. But I think the original question was my thought on the gap, right? Yeah, that was the original right. question. It's just like yeah. <laughs> whether or not we're going to get to this, you know, do, do you think we should be kind of similar to MTG and we're, where the game needs to be coming out with new sets every three months? No. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you, but I just I, I think it's important no. for people well, to hear why. Here's what's also important, right? You like this game, right? Yeah, I love this game. Okay, then it shouldn't always be on Wizards to create events. You know, it should That's... be very much on people to create events. That is an um, excellent, excellent point. Like, yeah, it, it, if you love this game, if you love playing this game, Wizards cannot do everything, right? They can't. It's impossible. But and your local stores can't either. Like, no, you're right. The so support like if, comes if, from the player base. If you love this game and you want and you want this game to succeed, then you should go out and you should talk to your local store and be like, "Hey, I want to do this a monthly basis, a weekly basis, a bi-weekly basis, whichever." And you need to convince your local store that you're going to do this. And yeah, it, it might start slow, right? Like you guys said, you have four or five players. But if you're consistent, if you know, if you plan, if people know when it's going to happen, it should grow. It should naturally grow. And it, and it, it is a down period, right? Like right now we have uh, San Antonio uh, next weekend. And the weekend after that, it's uh, the Invitational in Florida. So like there's events right now. But after that, we have no idea when anything is going to happen in the year 2020 with organized play currently. We can assume we can assume there'll be Origins. We can assume there'll be Gen Con. We can assume there'll be PAX Unplugged. But currently, we, we do not know. I right. have faith that we will learn, right? I'm, um, I'm hoping that that's something they'll, just, that Wizards I, will do this year is kind of give us a, a more spread out, almost like regional type structure. Uh, right. That but would be really cool if, to see. If you look at PPG, for example, you know, they – they kind of just came in in the middle of in the middle of all of it, right? Like we were, it was very unexpected for PPG to be like, "Oh, by the way, we're having two events before Energon Invitational that didn't exist," right? Um, so if you look at people like like George Machado and PPG of of taking the reins and going, "Well, I like this game. I'm going to support this game, and I want to do it how I can do it." And obviously, it's easier for him. He's an event organizer and everything like that, but. It doesn't mean that not anyone else could do that same model. That same model, if, you know, if you want to have a giant event, uh, you know, powered by Primus, for example, he did it in Colorado last year. Uh, you know, stuff like that. You can take that initiative and you can you can go and say, hey, I, I want to do these things and I want to support this game. And that that's really what I can say. And then the last little rebuttal is the set timing is the exact same set timing between Wave One and Wave Two. And I know the game is young, but it was still it's the, still the same timing. So it's like it. For me, it's fine, but it will help if other events come along. Yes, I, and I, I agree with that completely. Like, uh, I, I do think it's on the player base 100% to, to grow this. And, I mean, a perfect example of that is I'm working with my local game store right now. We've got a convention coming up in March uh, for just a local gaming con that have four or 500 people at it. And we're, uh, we're going to run – I'm going to run. I, I've asked Neil for some help on it, but I'm going to run a turbo – turbo format to try to attract some new players to the game and it's not my favorite way to play transformers personally but that's not really the but point it, right it the gets point people is, in the door it gets people to see the game exactly it gets people to learn the mechanisms of the game it gets people an opportunity to see if they like it and they get to smash some robots at each other in a really simple kind of way they don't have to think right. about and, it so and for what it's worth i'm not like i'm not like i'm not the guy that's saying like oh you have to have this giant event because people are going to come if if you know your audience right like your audience is i want new players i want new players to see the game i want them to learn the game fast two packs the best way to go right yeah absolutely is yeah if if it's a same thing like with limited format we now have a limited format like we have all the rules for it so it's the same exact idea it's like hey i don't want to do two pack but i want to do this limited format to where people don't need to build buy a constructed deck they don't need to buy any cards like they can just show up get their six packs and learn to play the game right right no, you're 100% right. And and one of the things I think is a real testament and value to this game in particular, though, is once they kind of get, you know, I always get that you always get that kind of feedback. Oh, I don't want to get another trading card game because it costs so much money. I'm like, this is one of those games where the reality of it is, is that it's got a pretty low barrier of entry for building a viable constructed deck these days. I mean, look at look at the, like general prime wave three with 
the airstrike patrol guys like that whole deck can probably be built for under a hundred dollars i mean the most expensive cards are going to be the piece of tyrannies you're being a little nice you think I, so? I don't remember if it's it was this episode or last sure. episode but uh <laughs> we had we had made the statement that the two best guys in the set are like tailwind and springer and their commons and yes. correct yeah but like the the rares are good and some of them are real expensive but right i mean well, yeah Springer's I mean, awesome and he's no dollars but, but an aggro deck like he's an today, unfair amount of dollars sure but <laughs> yeah you're you're right you're you're right on that but i mean i'm not talking about galactic prime right We're, no talking, the whole yeah. point is that this game compared to other games and most other games it's you can probably get a very competitive deck for less than 200 dollars. yeah I, I do agree with that probably in general um i yeah i think that there's there's and, very budget-friendly the decks di the real difference is is that all the cards that are expensive are staples that can be played in any deck you want them to be played in so there's also that right and you especially know, after they made the announcement that their rotation is not on the docket right like not you going know away. that they're not going away right they're not going away yeah i i think that'll be something that'll be curious to see how long that holds up obviously it's gonna hold up through this year they've made that clear but i wonder how much longer we'll see before wave one rotates out you have any bold predictions on that? We're 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 trying to decide on some bets for 2020 right now. So, oh, uh, it will not be in 2020. We already know that. Yeah. Um, uh, I could see the first three years of the game staying intact. First full three like, years. Complete. So, yeah. through 2022 at this point. Uh, I would say like somewhere in the middle of 2021 is possible. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable. So obviously, you know about the Megatron bet. But you don't. We don't know the results yet either. We're still waiting patiently for Drew and Company to release the top thirty-two to find out. I am not confident. <laughs> well, Neil, you I, got I, a chance. I, I have a question about the bet. Does okay. the sideboard count? Oh, we had not yes. clarified. No, <laughs> we're at an impasse. <laughs> this sounds like this sounds like yes is good for me. So that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> no, I, no, it has to be mainboarded. It has to be a right. mainboard Megatron. I tried throwing you a bone, Neil. I don't know why, yeah. but I tried. Yeah, you shouldn't yeah. do that. We want to hear Neil rap. Nobody wants to hear me rap. We all want to hear Neil rap. He's clearly the more talented rapper of the two of uh. us sitting on this show. <laughs> yeah. And that's not sane. I'm, just to be clear. Not <laughs> scooping that Megatron in in round nine just haunts me at night. You sure it wasn't round ten? Hey, mm, it might have been round ten, or round, <laughs> or maybe it's twelve or something. 11, I don't know. We know. <laughs> yeah, at this I point, quit. we don't know. <laughs> You're the one who played seven rounds against truck. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I'm just that good. I... <laughs> yeah. You, you, oh, is that why you had to you had to play the first round that no one else was in? Was that it? Well, I did have to play one round against a stupid EMP deck in the first round. Oh, oh there you go. Yeah, that was That awful. probably felt like two rounds. Maybe that was it, it was easily two rounds of play uh, in that deck. I had to play it around six. God. <laughs> well Well, okay, so we'll we'll come up with some bets. Uh obviously I'm looking very much forward to you two squaring off at Orlando because we're all going to Orlando. So I think it'll be great to see you down there and I hope uh that, that I don't have to play you in Neil Des. That's all I'm, all I'm gonna say. At least I if I have to play you, it's much later early. in the yeah, yeah, me so too. So that, like, there could be some fun to be had there because I don't want to spend the whole day grinding. Me, me too. I'm, I'm hoping that Friday is uh, good to us and that Saturday is a day of rest and relaxation before having to play in the main. Are event there even Saturday. grinders on Saturday? Do we know? I think there's yeah. grinders on Friday yes, and Saturday. Okay. So there's, there's gonna be They're running. They will run as many as they get people to sign up for. Well, yeah, it's just like free money for them, but it's good for us too. Yeah, it is. So. But, um, you know, Dan, I just want to thank you for coming on and dealing with us for two episodes. We, we <laughs> were getting a two-episode bargain out of you today. But uh, we, we are very, um, very grateful for you and Vector Sigma and everything that you guys are doing for the community and, you know, for helping push the meta and, and help define it. And, I mean, certainly it helps short-circuit development time for other players. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's good. It's great to have the competitive outlet. I mean, we are targeted more casual audience than I think competitive. But I mean, I like to pretend that I'm competitive. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, well, it's but, a fake it till you make it sort of thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> not not all of us can be Dan Arnold, so we have to do other things. But I mean, I'm very appreciative of all of Scott's help over the last month. I'm very appreciative of Vector Sigma in general. And I mean, 
your guys' result says more about it than either me or Jesse ever could. I Absolutely. Mean, you got yep. like the whole team in the top 32 and you played a deck that you only found out about, you know, 12 hours before the tournament. And I mean, it's, it's all great. And my biggest regret of the EI was that like you and I didn't get to hang out at all. Like I hadn't really like introduced myself to you or anything. And yeah. I hung out like, like obviously you had other engagements after you won. And so when they did the little vector Sigma after party thing, like I got to go meet Vince and everybody, but uh, didn't really get introduced to you until I was getting in my Uber to leave. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. So I'm, we're very happy to have you on. It's been great to talk to you. Um, congratulations on your win. And I guess, is the toy really sweet? That's a good question. Uh, it's still in the box. Sorry. Well, can I come over you, and play with it? You got to give it to Vin then, right? Like he's clearly the toy nut. He's he he really just needs a chance to like get his fingers because on it for I, a bit. Because because Vin doesn't even know it yet. I I am gonna give it to Vin. I, oh, I actually meant to give it, it to him first. last Exclusive. weekend. I meant to I meant to give it to him last weekend, and then like I got rushed in the leaving, and I forgot to bring it with me. But I didn't even tell him I was gonna give it to him, so it's still a surprise. So. Maybe well, this one you've got you've got another okay, week because this will take a week to edit. And... That's fine. That's good. <laughs> I, I probably won't see him for another week, so we'll see. That's perfect. <laughs> I, I don't even know if Vin listens to us or not. I don't either, but hey, you never know. Maybe somebody will spoil it to him that does listen. So, well, Vin right. is very sporadic. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, again, um, you know, big congrats. Thanks again for coming on the show and spending a bunch of time with us tonight, way more than we had anticipated and planned. And it's just a testament to how great of a dude you are to to do that and come on our little pod and talk about Transformers. Uh, I'm hoping that we can have you back on in the future because I think there's lots of success in your future and uh, we'll definitely be in touch and stay in touch. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, it, I always like coming on. I always like talking to people. I mean, I literally started a podcast just to talk to the friends that I have met through the game, you know, so I get it. <laughs> and the difficulties that in the first one, it's fine. You know, like, Hey, stuff happens. And I, I, it would be rude of me to not be like, yeah, I'll stick around. It, it's just not right. It's okay. We we would have we would have we would have made it through. Neil and I would have bumbled through an episode, but we really do appreciate that. So we, I mean, that's yeah. all we do, anyways. Most of the time is just bumble through an episode. But yeah, we don't have I, any time to go through Fortress Max, Maximus decks today because we uh, we use all the time up talking to you. But that's okay. I, we'll spare everybody that pain for this week and bring it back <laughs> next week. So. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, this has been episode eight of the Shuffle Bus. And we've been talking with Dan Arnold from VectorSigma.info. And you guys should definitely go check him out. Follow him on Twitter and follow, like him on Facebook or all that stuff in whatever order because I'm old and I don't know it anymore. And, <laughs> wow. Uh, yep. You're welcome. And we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll be back soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, thanks guys. guys.